to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Hey, the other night, my in-laws, they took... Lynette and Nathan out for a birthday dinner at Carabas. Have you guys ever gone to Carabas? Yeah, I, that's like my favorite place in the whole wide world because it was a birthday. You know, the, all the you know servers surround and circle your table to where you can't get away, and then they start to sing. You know, Tonka Trunk. You know, whatever, whatever Tonka trucks are my thing. I don't know. Whatever they say, you know, you know, and, and they sing that song to you, and they sing it, and you don't know what they're saying. And you know what? Here's the thing. They don't even know what they're saying. If they didn't know what the tune was, they probably wouldn't even know what they're saying. But they have to learn. That's probably a part of their, you know, prerequisite to be hired on. You know, you have to learn these, these words, you know. They sang this song, and after it was over, they put down a dessert with, you know, a, a, a candle on it. And actually, put down a couple of desserts down there. And uh, one was a bread pudding, you know, and it was good. It was good. But they put this creme brulee cheesecake with a fresh strawberry drizzle. And what I'm accustomed to hear from my wife and my mother-in-law is, oh, that's to die for. Well, I don't know about that. I always tease them about it, you know, but... uh, to die for it was so good it was so good a little crunchy top if you ever go you need to get that along with fettuccine wheezy fettuccine wheezy that's it man wheezy that's right that's George Jefferson's dish Um, fettuccine wheezy great you said it from the audience. I have it on tape. That's great. Thanks. Oh. Bert, you, you set me up for that. Bert Wiseman did that. I'll give you his address if you write to me. Um, oh, that cheesecake is to die for. To die for. I mean, shoot, I, I'd probably die for a bag of Cheetos. You know, whatever... What is it? Just that, 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 that phrase kind of in my mind has kind of rolled around in my head, you know, as I was preparing for this. And I don't know why the Lord had me go down this road, but this is a road that I feel like the Lord had me go down. And, and, and that is this. By this statement, it elicits this question that I wanted to pose to you today. And, and it is this. What is it that you would die for? What is it that you'd die for? I'm going to say it's probably not creme brulee cheesecake with a straw, fresh strawberry drizzle. I, I'm going to say that it's probably not that, nor a bag of Cheetos. But as I ask you this question, I really want you to think about it. I want you to consider it carefully, and I want you to count the cost of what your answer would be, and then I want you to share it. Not all of you, but I'm going to ask a couple. I'm going to open it up. I'm not going to ask you and point out you. Unless you're, you just need it. I'm just joking. I would never do that. I would never embarrass anybody in here, would I, Bert? I never would. See, I can do that to Bert because he's been up here many times. 
You know, I, I remember, you know, back quite a few years ago, back when I was at, over in, in Fort Lauderdale, Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, there was a, we, our worship leader over there, his name was Clay Hecox. And uh, any of you who know Clay or know anything about him, he's a, he's a master on the piano and keyboard. I mean, a classical trained master on, on the keyboard. I mean, just ridiculously great. He's talented. And... I remember him sharing one time with me. He said, you know, there are people that will come up to me invariably after services and what have you, and they'll come up after maybe a worship service or something, and they'll, they'll come up after maybe, you know, the, the, the service got over and maybe the last song really impacted them. They come up and they'll ask Clay, man, I'd do anything, I'd give anything if I could play like you. And he says, I don't do it every time because they'd think I was a jerk if I did it every time, but I do every once in a while. I say, no, you won't. No, I'd give anything just to play like you, Clay. He goes, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't give anything to play like I play. And, and it kind of takes him off guard. They say, well, why would you say such a thing? He says, because if you would give anything to play like I play, you would be playing like I play. Because here's the thing. If you were to give everything to play like me, you would spend countless hours behind the keyboard practicing and practicing and then practicing some more. And you would do that for years upon years upon years in order to get as proficient and and to master a keyboard. You would do that if you would give anything. And I understand it's just a phrase of speech. And now you understand why he says, I don't do that to everybody because everybody thinks I was a jerk. But as I pose the question to you, what would you die for? I've given you a little bit of time. Anybody want to share? What would you die for? And I want you to think about what it is that you're saying. What would you die for? Anyone? <laughs> Listen, this isn't a trick question. I'm not going <laughs> to. Kevin. He's pointing at me. <laughs> <I'm not sorry. laughs> he was pointing at his family. Kevin says these four people over here. Those are your family. Yes, for his family. Okay, he'd die for those, his family. Notice he didn't say us. I'm just joking. A shepherd would lay down his life for a sheep, you know. I'm just messed. <laughs> those are his sheep, he says. Those are my sheep. Um, anybody else? What would you die for? Nothing? You wouldn't die for anything? No one? For your grandchildren. Right. Awesome. Anyone else? Anyone? Yes. Your entire family. Grandchildren, children. Yes. All right. Nancy. Yeah. You die. You, obviously, you die for your family, but if you work at a school, you would, you would, you'd step in front of a bullet for the, the kids. Yes. We're getting a gun. No, 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 no. You don't need a gun. You need a bulletproof vest, okay? She's saying she's going to step in front, okay? Anyone else? Anyone? It, it's an interesting thing. I think about it. I know that there's a lot of you that are going, okay, I'm not going to answer it because I know him well enough that he's going to trick me into something. This actually was no trick. It, it really just... I wanted to throw the question out there so that you would you'd really consider what you would die for. What does this have to do with Easter? It has everything to do with Easter. 
God demonstrated his own love towards us. The Bible tells us, right, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. It was his love that compelled him to go to the cross. The Bible tells us in, in Hebrews chapter 11, you know, uh, seeing a regret surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us and besets us. And let us look unto the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and right now sits down at the right hand of the Father. But, but do you see what it says there? The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before him? I believe it was you. I mean, if we really believe the first few words of the Bible, in the beginning, God, four simple words. If you can get beyond the first four words of the Bible, you've got the Bible lit. In the beginning, God. And you consider the magnitude and the brevity of who God is. You think about God never exist or never never having a beginning point and never having an ending point. Everlasting. Well, when did it begin? It didn't. What about anything that you know in life? Is there a beginning and an end to it? Yes. There is. What is there in your life or in my life that doesn't have a beginning or an end? Apart from God. Nothing. We have nothing for which to compare God to. I mean, it will blow your mind. It'll just blow your mind. If you think about it. No beginning, no end. Well, then what was he doing before time? Just being God... Totally happy, totally blessed, totally all God. Well, then was he a little bit limited? Was he, was, he, was he not happy? Is that why he created mankind? No, he was perfectly happy. He just chose to create mankind because he loved you. He loved me. He brought us into existence because of his love that he had for you and I. But then he also gave you and I the opportunity to either choose him or reject him. Because, let's face it, we don't really enjoy those relationships that we have that are forced. Right? We all have a friend or two that is our friend because they are a friend of another one of our friends. But if, if it wasn't for that mutual friend of ours, they probably wouldn't be our friends because... You kind of know. They don't really even like you. <laughs> Any of you have those kind of friends? I, I, I know I've had them. And I know that I have some in my life. And, and, and they're your friend and they, they talk real nice to you, to your face. But you know that maybe they don't really like you. If it weren't for that friend, that mutual friend of yours, there wouldn't be a relationship. Right? And, and, and so, if that's the case, if you wouldn't have a relationship with that person because that person just doesn't 
just doesn't mix with you, doesn't like you, doesn't like being around you unless this other person's around, and then all of the time is basically focused on the conversation here, tolerate this, but totally are here for this. It's like God. Here's the thing. God, God doesn't want to have a relationship. He doesn't want to force someone into a relationship if they don't want one. Just like I can't force that person who doesn't like me unless this other person is with us. Just like I can't force that person to say, would you just like me? Would you just be my friend? I try to have always tried to make it my goal in life that, 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 you know, if people don't like me or they're awkward around me, I try to make them like me. It's kind of the goal of mine. I'm going to make you like me. My director at the Bible college was a guy that wasn't really too fond of me for a while. Twin Peaks area. I understand you guys from up in Twin Peaks area. That's like home right here for me. Haven't got the opportunity to meet you, but I was looking forward to talking to you afterwards. But here's the thing, up there in Twin Peaks, the, the director, he, it's, it's like he was awkward around me. He was kind of standoffish. I tried to get to know him. And you know, he kind of just repelled. He just kind of kept me at arm's distance. And I said, you know, I, I'm thinking to myself, you don't know it, but I'm going to be one of your best friends. <laughs> You're going to like me, whether you like it or not. And, and you're going to like it. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but you're going to do it. And, and you know what? He did. He became one of my best friends. You can't force somebody to like him. And, and that almost sounds like I forced them to like me. I didn't. I didn't force them to like me. Um, being a pilot and flying someone around to go to different conferences helps friendships okay <laughs> here's a guy that was a phenomenal teacher one of the best teachers i've ever heard in my life and he had conferences and different retreats that he would teach at all over the state and what have you and and i just hey um i have an airplane i'm a commercial pilot i flew for a living before i came up here to the bible college hey if you ever need to a, a, a flight i'd be more than happy to provide the gas and get you up there really all of a sudden, we became good friends. Okay. okay. That's a very cheap way to make someone like you, but I did. I didn't make him, but he, he actually, when he got to know me and we got to know each other, we really, really became bonded in heart. Here's the thing. Our relationship with God, he's not going to force you into heaven if you don't want to be there. But in spite of whether or not we receive him or not, he still loved you so much that he intersected mankind. He, he, he started time, and there will be a time when time is no more. But for this season that we're in right now, we're in the season of time. There's a time that you will take a step out of this earth, and you'll enter into a time of eternity where there is no end. And, and, and it's in that that God loved us so much that He would send His own Son to die on a cross so that you can go to heaven. He would do everything He could do to make you love Him, to make you like Him, to make you get into a relationship with Him 
with the exception of not ever overpowering your own will to do it. And I think that that's a great act of love, that God would not force you to love him. But here's the thing. What was it that he would die for? That's what he would die for. He died for you. He loved you. He loved me that much. But let's now move it beyond the scope of God and now let's move it into others. Let's look at those that he came to, the disciples. One by one, he called them to himself. One by one, they left all that they had and they followed Christ. For some three and a half years, they followed Christ. But after the three and a half years was up, you remember, all but one departed from him there in his most tumultuous time, his greatest hour of need, his greatest hour of, of, of his, his life here upon the earth. As he's dying on a cross, there are no disciples around, save one, John. You remember Jesus hanging on the cross. He looks down at his mother and he looks at John and he says, Son, your mother, mother, your son. Not saying, hey, mom, look at me. Here's, here I am. He's looking down at John and saying, John, you need to take care of my mom. I'm gone. Take care of my mom. Do the earthly things that I would have done for my mom. Mom, listen to John. John's going to be there for you. That's a friend. Where's Peter? Brash Peter. Oh, we remember he denied Jesus three times, didn't he? It took a small servant girl to bring Peter down. Judas, we know that he's off and he's hung himself. The rope probably broke and then he hit the ground and burst asunder. I don't even want to go down that road, what that would look like. But you got ten others. Well, nine others because John's at the foot of the cross. But the other nine, they're gone. Where are they? We don't know. We just know they're scattered. But Jesus rose again from the dead. You remember, there in the upper room, nine of the disciples, or I'm sorry, ten of the disciples up in the upper room, when he rose again from the dead, Judas is dead. Thomas, for some reason, is still scared and gone or something. I don't know. Or he had to go do something. I, we don't know what happened to Thomas. But ten of the disciples there in the upper room are with Jesus when he comes to them and he he appears to them and he talks with them and he ministers to them and then he, and then he disappears again. And the ten disciples are like, oh my goodness, what just happened? Did we just see what we just saw? Did we just experience what we just experienced? He's, he's alive. He's alive. Thomas comes knocking on the door, you know. Hey, you guys, you guys still there? Yeah, open the door. Thomas, dude, you just missed it. What? Jesus was here. Oh, come on. He wasn't here. I saw him die from a distance, but I saw him die. No, Thomas, he's alive. No, I know you guys. This is a cruel joke that you guys are playing on me. Do you understand? How could you guys do this? Are you that ruthless to, to make up this idea that Jesus is still alive? Thomas, you have to look at us and you have to look at us in the eyes and you have to believe us. He is still alive. And Thomas, I believe probably at that time, Thomas probably got upset and he goes, I will not believe until I put my hand in his side and my finger in where the nails went into his hands. I'm not going to believe that. 
I'm not going to believe you guys. And it was just a day or so later. They're up in the upper room. And all of a sudden, the doors are shut. Not all of a sudden. They shut the doors because they're still afraid that they're going to be the next ones hanging on a cross. They're still afraid. And Jesus appears to them in the upper room. And now all of them are there. Obviously, Judas is gone. So there's now 11 disciples. And Jesus addresses Thomas. Thomas, come here and put your hand into my side where the lance went through. Come here and put your finger into my hand where the nail pierced me. The Bible doesn't even say that Thomas even made it all the way to Jesus. But he dropped and he said, the Lord of me and the God of me. My Lord and my God, I can't believe that you're alive. You're alive. You're alive. Okay. Eleven guys radically changed their whole mentality for the rest of their lives. How many of them were afraid to die after that? Not one of them. Not one of them. Up to that point, how many were afraid to die for Christ? None of them. Or or none of them were, were willing to die for Christ because they all took off. They were all afraid. But now that they've seen Jesus arisen from the dead, they're alive. Let's look at some of these disciples who are now apostles. James. Well, we read, you know, in the book of Acts that James was killed with a sword. Uh, possibly run through with a sword, probably when they talk about a sword, uh, probably beheaded. Oftentimes you'll see these guys being beheaded. Why? To shut their mouth. Just take their whole head. Stop them. Cut the head off. James was killed with a sword. Peter? What happened to Peter? There came a time where Peter was going to die. And, and, and they came to crucify Peter. We're going to give you the same crucifixion that we gave to your Lord. And Jesus says, no, I'm not even worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Turn me upside down and crucify me with my head down towards the ground because I'm not even worthy to be crucified like my Lord. They said, hey, suit, suit yourself. We'll be glad to crucify you upside down because you're going to die anyways. Peter dies crucified upside down. Matthew killed with a sword in Ethiopia. Bartholomew also known as Nathaniel. He was whipped, flayed to death for preaching in modern day Turkey. Andrew <laughs> Gotta love this one. Andrew was crucified on an X shaped cross by seven different soldiers. They tied his limbs, instead of piercing his limbs with nails, they tied him and stretched his limbs to their limit and hung him on a cross, that X shaped cross. And it took him two days to die. But on his way to the cross, 
It's reported that he said, I have long desired and expected this happy hour for the cross has been consecrated by Christ hanging on it. And so he hung on a cross. And for two days he, he was alive. And for two days he shared with the soldiers about the redemptive power of Christ. Doubting Thomas, what happened to him? Doubting Thomas. He was killed with a spear in India where he went to preach Jesus and set up a church. Matthias, who's Matthias? Well, he's the apostle that the 11 disciples had chosen to replace Judas. He was stoned to death, but they'd heard about Paul rising again from the dead after he was stoned, so they beheaded him. Let's kill him with stones, but then let's cut off his head because that would be a real miracle if they put, put his head back on and then make him live again, you know. So Matthias, stoned and then beheaded. Simon, Simon the less, not Simon Peter. He was crucified. Philip, crucified. Thaddeus, filled with arrows. I know he's not the, an apostle, but James, who was the brother of Jesus, he became the pastor in of the first church in Jerusalem. You know what happened to him? They took him up onto the, into the temple. The highest peak. You remember in, in Matthew chapter 4, in Jesus' great hour of temptation, 40 days he'd fasted in the wilderness. You remember Satan took him up on the high pinnacle of a temple and said, jump off, for the Lord would save you because the Bible says, lest you dash your foot against the stone. So show me. Prove that you are the Messiah. And Jesus rebutted him and says, you know what, here's the thing. Have you not also read, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus always rebutted Satan using the word with the word used correctly. But here now we have the brother of Jesus on the same pinnacle with the religious rulers of that day saying, you're the, you're the head of this church here in Jerusalem. Let's see if the Lord will do for you what He promised to do for the Messiah. They tossed Him off a hundred foot tower there in Jerusalem. And He hit the stone pavement on the ground. And He didn't die. You know what he did? He rolled over and he got on his knees. He began to pray. He began to pray. I pray thee, Lord, God our Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Well, that's kind of interesting words, isn't it? Haven't we heard that before? Because he was still alive after he fell, after the fall, and he was praying. One of the rabbis said, shut his mouth! And they began to stone him to death. And he still wouldn't die. And the rabbi became even more vehement in his hatred towards James. And he says, I said, shut his mouth. And one of the fullers who, who basically he would, he would t- 
tan different or tan, not tan, but uh, not a tanner, but a, uh, uh, a person who works with, with cloth and, and dyes cloth and everything. There was, a, there was a, a bat or a club, they called a miller's club. And he was a miller who would go and dye different cloth, cloths and, and, and linens and what have you and sell. Here's the thing, he, was, he worked for the, for the temple. And this guy went out there with his club and bashed in James' head to shut him up. Stephen, he wasn't an an apostle, he was a deacon. But we know about that area there in Acts chapter 7, don't we? He was stoned to death after he spoke about God's plan from the beginning through to why God had sent his son, Jesus, to come and be crucified for the lives of mankind. The religious rulers couldn't handle it anymore. After he moved himself out of the New Testament and started talking about Jesus Christ, God becoming a man in the person of Jesus, they clamped their ears, they gnashed at him with their teeth, they ripped their clothes, and they began to stone him. And you remember what Stephen's words were? He said, Behold, before they started to stone him, uh, he sees that they're so angry. <laughs> Acts chapter 7, there's a boldness that comes over Stephen. He says, you stiff neck and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. As, as your fathers did, so do you also. Which one of your prophets didn't your fathers kill who God sent to him? And here you're going to kill, you killed the Son of God. You killed the Christ. You killed the Messiah. Nah, nah, nah. And gnashing at their teeth. And they picked up stones at the behest of one Saul of Tarsus, a Pharisee. They laid their coats at his feet, thereby signifying he's the authority. He's the authority and command here. Can we do this, Saul? Please, will you let us do this? Yes. And they went about stoning Stephen. And Stephen said, Lord, do not, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Lord, do not charge him with this sin. Again, sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? These words entered the ears of Saul and their effort after echoed with deafening clarity in his mind and his heart. And this soon, soon the, the Pharisee Saul became the apostle Paul. And those words never got out of his mind and out of his heart seeing Stephen stoned to death for Christ. Paul. He became the world's greatest evangelist. He wrote 13, I believe, 14 books of the New Testament, if you include Hebrews. That's up for debate. 14 of the 26 books of the New Testament, Paul wrote. He was tortured and then he was beheaded by Caesar Nero in Rome in A.D. of 67. John, we talked about John being the one at the foot of the cross. John, you know, he's the only one who died of old age of the apostles. However, it was definitely not for lack of trying. For you see, they they tossed him into a vat of a cauldron of burning, boiling oil. And he didn't cook. 
It was, it was really like kind of like, you, you know, a New Testament version of the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the furnace. <laughs> Get him out of the oil. He didn't cook. Send him off to Patmos, the prison island, and let him just remain out there for the rest of his life. And though he didn't remain out there for the rest of his life, it was there in Patmos, that prison island, that he penned his prophetic book, The Revelation, after they tried to kill him. They ended up letting him off the island. He ended up going back into Turkey, and he died a very old man in what was modern, what is today modern-day Turkey after continuing to testify of the Lord. My question is this, guys. What would you die for? If you're here today, and we're all here today, obviously, and you're listening to this, which you are, and you've always wondered, is it true? Did he really rise from the dead? I brought this out to you for this reason. Every single one of these guys ran in times of trouble before Christ died on the cross. Before he rose again from the dead. But when they saw the risen Savior, they counted their lives not worthy to be lived only for themselves from that day forward. You want to take my life? Then Lord, I, what, did, what did Andrew say? I have, I have what, did, what was his words? I have long desired and expected this happy hour to be hung on a cross. That doesn't sound like pre-resurrection disciples, does it? Here, here's the point. They were willing to die for the resurrected Christ instead of recanting. Let me ask you. There are those out there that will try to convince you, well, they just put on a farce. This isn't all true. They, they came up with a story and they held to it to the death. I pose the question again. What would you die for? Really? A lie? You would die for a lie? You think these men would die for a lie? Every single and last one of them would die for a lie? I don't, I think not. I think not. They've proven that they're going to run when desperate times come. Even after the resurrection of Christ, we see them locked cowering in fear in an upper room behind locked doors because they were afraid of the soldiers. But now, they're out there proclaiming Christ. And they're standing up like Peter and John. They're standing up before the, the, before the religious rulers that had Jesus put to death. And they're, 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 they're threatening, saying, you will not preach in this Christ's name. And what what does Peter and John say? Hey, whether it's right in your eyes or not, we don't know. And whether it's right in God's eyes or not, we don't know. But here's one thing. We cannot help but speak the things that we have seen and heard. You want to kill us? Kill us. 
but you're not going to make us recant that we saw the risen Savior. You know what? We saw him die just like you guys did. We saw him brutally beaten and killed and hung on a cross. We all saw that. But you know what we saw three days later? We saw him in our room. We ate fish with him, man. We hung out with him. We spent time with him. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We've got to be done. Moreover, brethren, verse 1, Paul writing, he says, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And here, I'm going to remind you what I said, Paul says. I'm going to remind you what it is that I have preached to you. I delivered to you, verse 3, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ, he died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then he was seen by Cephas, or Peter, and then he was seen by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have died. And after that, he was seen by James, his brother. And then by all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached and so you believe. Here's what Paul's saying. He says this. He says, I persecuted the church. I wanted to squash this. Of the Pharisees, I excelled the Pharisees above them all. I had this cush life of being one of the religious rulers until I was knocked off my high horse on the way to Damascus and then God grabbed a hold of my life and I cannot but speak his name. If you don't believe because you have a struggle because people go, well, those are all made up stories. They're not made up stories. Whether or not you want to believe it or not, it's truly up to you. Well, it's all in the Bible. I mean, the Bible is just, you can't use the Bible to, you know, prove the Bible. The Bible is made up of 66 different letters from different times. We call it the Bible. It's a compilation of letters. It's what we do for all of history. Everything else in history that we have letters like this, we believe. We just want to toss this? You want to toss this? Paul, he had everything in life that he ever would want. And he gave it all up. To what? Propagate a lie? He could go anywhere. He could have anything. He was wealthy. He was prominent. He had everything. And yet, he gave it all up for a lie? I don't think so. These disciples, they all gave it up. For a lie? They were crucified, they were beaten, they were thrown off a temple at 100 feet? Really? For a lie? Paul says, hey, don't just take our word for it. There's over 500 people that saw him. And most of them are still alive today. You don't believe me? Go and ask those guys. 
Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. These guys laid their lives on the line and died. In our country, we have this surge of patriotism. We have the surge of patriotism when we see a soldier, many of us. I get lumps in my throat, man. When I'm in an airport and I see a soldier getting off an airplane and I see him walking through the terminal or something like that, I have a hard time getting out of my mouth when I go and shake his hand and say, or her hand, and I say, hey, thank you for your service. I choke up. I start crying. Does that make me any less a man? Well, then I am. I'm thankful for those guys. I'm thankful for the freedoms that I have in this country. I'm thankful for those who fight for our rights in this country and fight for the sovereignty of our nation. I'm thankful for them. I've got a nephew that's in the, in the, the uh, Marines right now. I'm thankful for him. I look at him so much different than I ever looked at him before. I used to look at him as, I could beat you up anytime I want. I can take you down anytime I want. Now, I don't even try it. Number one, he'd kill me. But secondly, and more importantly, I look at him and I see respect. I just respect that kid above so much. He's willing to die for me in our country. I'm going to treat them well. Do you know the disciples, they were willing to die for you, to bring you this. To propagate the word. I saw what I saw. And I experienced what I experienced. And I'm willing to be brutally murdered so that this word would continue on from generation to generation to generation so that there in Calvary Chapel on March 27th of 2016 someone can get a shot in the arm and say, hey, you know what? It's true, man. These guys fought and they died for the truth. Don't let the pressures of this world, don't let the naysayers of this world, don't let all of the, 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 the multitude of the, 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 the people that are coming down upon Christianity, coming down upon Christ, coming down upon the Word of God, don't let that sway you. Don't let it sway you. You pick up your word of God. You read it for what it says. It's either true or it's a lie. I'm going to say, people died to bring you this truth. They died to bring you this truth. They didn't die for a lie. And so I pose the question again. As I end, what would you die for? I would die for the Lord. I would die for him. I pray that in that time that he would give me the strength to do what it is that he would have me do. But you know what? This life isn't what it's all about. It's about eternity. We have eternity in front of us. Jesus Christ died and rose again to give you a future and a hope. And don't let anybody else tell you anything different. Today is a celebration because he rose again from the dead. Death died this day when Jesus Christ rose again from the dead.
Let's pray. Father, right now, I come before you. I thank you, God, for the patience of these kids. I pray, Lord, that this word was not so far over their head that they didn't understand. I pray for the adults in this room that the the message wasn't too low or too high or too boring or whatever it was. I pray, Lord, that the words that came out from this pulpit today were words that impacted our lives and said, you know what? God has called me to live for him. Yes, God has called me to die for him. Yes, God has called me to surrender my all to him. I am willing to surrender my life. Lord, there might be somebody in this room that doesn't have a relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that if there is anybody in this room right now that doesn't have that relationship with you and says, you know what? I, I, I kind of want to have something to, to die for. I want to I I know this God personally. I want to know him personally. I want to know Jesus personally. Maybe you've gone to church your whole life, but you have never personally opened up your heart and said, Lord, I'm going to surrender my life to you. I'm not only willing to die for you, but I'm be willing to live for you. Take my sin and give me eternal life. Forgive me. If that's you, you can simply open your heart and ask the Lord, Lord, come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. You died on that cross As God in human flesh, you intersected time for me. You took my penalty upon your shoulders. You wept on the cross, and then you died on the cross. But then you rose again from the tomb. Lord, nothing could hold you down. You you rose again from the dead. Your blood had to be shed for me. But Lord, you rose again. You did something no one else could ever do for me and you gave me life because you defeated death for me. I accept that. I receive that. I receive the knowledge that you, God, love me that much that you would go to that distance to give me life. I want to be a Christian from this day forward. I may not know what that all entails, but Lord, I pray that you would help me to be like these that we have heard of today, that I would be willing to to not only die for you, but to live for you also. Show me, Lord, how to be used in this last day. In the days that you've given me, I might be young, I might be old, but in the days that you give me for the remainder of my life, Lord, let me use them for you. These men who were former cowards became some of the boldest men that I've ever seen. All that any of them would have had to have done is said, I was lying. He never did rise again from the dead. And they would be set free. But not one of them ever bowed to that pressure. I don't know that a man would ever die for a lie like that. And definitely not a whole group of men that were willing to do that. I choose to believe in the Lord they believed in. I choose to believe in Jesus, you. I choose to believe in the the hope that is mine because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. I choose to believe that there's a heaven waiting for me one day where I will spend an eternity with Christ, with God, with those who have gone on before me in heaven. This day, this Easter day, 2016, is a day where my life has been transformed. It's a day where my life has made a major change in direction. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer. Lord, thank you for hearing all of our prayers. I pray, Lord, even as there are those in this room that may have a relationship with you, but they've heard this and they've just gone, man, alive, what is my life doing? What is my life measuring up as? 
What am I doing? What is, what is my life all about? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not living for Christ like these guys did. Show me, Lord, how to do that. God, I repent. Lord, even as I was praying for someone to receive you, Lord, those that were praying along with me, Lord, just I pray, God, that they resurrender their life to you. God, that they're still breathing is telling me that you still have a plan and a purpose for them, for all of us. Lord, help us to live with conviction the rest of our lives that you've planned out for us with no denial of the resurrection of Jesus Christ bodily from the dead where we will one day again see you face to face. Thank you, Lord, for this day. We bless you, Lord. Thank you, God, for Easter. Thank you, God, for Resurrection Day. Thank you, God, for this day. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.